whether you are trying to create any part of the data-driven projects, you need to have better quality data. And that can only happen through data governance. How else you will improve the quality of the data? Hi, everyone. Welcome into HashMap on Tap. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening into the show today. I'm Kelly Coleffel, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Sharad Varshney. Sharad is co-founder and CEO at OvalEdge. They're a very cost-effective data catalog and data governance tool set. They include everything from the catalog to profiling solution to data lineage. And think about overall data governance. We'll get into that with Sharad as well. Prior to Oval Edge, he spent time at Hortonworks, same time I was there, Cohesive and other tech-related companies. Sharad, hi, welcome into the show today. What are you drinking? Thank you, Kelly. So we are in uh, Avalon in Alpharetta, and they have a very cool store called Cafe Intermesso, and they sell uh, Turkish coffee. So I said, okay, let me try Turkish coffee. So it's have like this grind to it, and I'm enjoying it. It's have a lot of flavor. So it's, uh, I, I think I remember the one time I, I was in, uh, in, in Turkey airport at that time, I think that time I drank and it was, I enjoyed it. Now I'm enjoying it again, <laughs> the second time. Oh, it, it sounds good. So is it, I don't know that I'm trying to think if I've had Turkish coffee. Is it, is it a, uh, is it a stronger coffee? It's a very what, strong, give me, it's, it's a very, very strong, strong coffee and it have, it has the grinds of the beans in it. So they, they actually, oh, just, they, they, it's less filtered. So it, it keeps the crunchiness into it. And it's and then they put like cardamom and the flavor, a lot of flavor is there. Drink and a meal. I like yeah, it. Yeah. So it's what just, uh, do you, yeah. it, is it, do you sweeten it at all? Do you, I, do you some sweetness in... is there? Yeah. Some sweetness okay. is there. Okay. Yeah. But it's really uh, good. It's quite strong and, and, and flavorful. Just like yeah. the Indian oh, chai. So Indian chai is very flavorful. Similar to that, it's, it yeah. seems like the coffee, but it's very strong and flavorful. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Sounds really good. Yeah, that's a nice area, that Avalon area. I don't know that I've I've been to that spot to grab coffee, but I uh, definitely enjoy going down there when I'm in the Atlanta area. Um, I have got, I don't have nearly as, as fancy of a coffee. I did just a single shot espresso today. Uh, I've got a, an espresso machine. I remember, uh, Shrad, you and I were talking, we were both at, at Hortonworks together. And I can remember when I was in the Santa Clara office and even in the Palo Alto office early days, uh, drinking two or three or four of these espresso shots <laughs> during uh, when I was on site there. So uh, definitely did not help my uh, my coffee addiction uh, at, at Hortonworks by any means. Yeah, I'm um, big addicted to coffee as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've got to control things. Okay. Hey, I would love for you to kick things off and always like to, I'm always interested in how you personally got into technology, number one, but, but also just where are you today? Your role as CEO and co-founder with Oval Edge. Um, both of those things, if you could spend a couple of minutes on, would be great. Yeah. So I'm being a tech people, like tech person, I'm a nuclear engineer by my degree, you know, and uh, then I worked in, you know, at that time when I was doing nuclear engineering in, from, in India, um, it was uh, 2000. So when um, India did some uh, nuclear blast testing. So at that time I realized if I go want to be in nuclear field, I cannot move forward and much into the nuclear space because of the very limited to only one company in the India. So I moved out and moved into the computer space and because I was working on various algorithm at that time in my master's thesis very easy to go to the computer space and then came to the computer space and started doing some 
you know, consulting work in came to US in 2001. And then after that, it's just doing uh, more tech work. And then I still remember I joined a company because it used to do a maintenance management implementation software for nuclear utilities. I don't know, oh, that's interesting because I have a nuclear degree and the charm of nuclear engineering came up. So did about seven years of those implementation of different, different nuclear power plants. I've been to like so many nuclear power plants in the North and our, our, so many of them. And then it was quite interesting to see the kind of like implementation side of like pure, uh, I would say that maintenance management word, pure ERP, like real card code implementation of that, the which software which used to create, we're seeing the real practical example of it. And that, then I got bored a little bit with this, that, and then I joined the tech world. I wanted to join the tech team. And that time I joined Hortonworks. And that's really uh, the area where I thought, well, I want to move to something like cool and big data and something. Joined that one and then realized that it was too techy. And there was no processes, there's nothing. And I realized this field need a little bit more, you know, management, governance, I was thinking this needs some sort of a SAP on data, right? So that was my thinking process at that time. We need some sort of an application to to hold all this data together. At that time, I founded Overledge and after leaving Hortonworks, and uh, and saw the need also when I was in Hortonworks because people were like creating all the data into data lake and don't know what to do with it. So that was the concept behind it. And then Hadoop, you know didn't grow that well as other platform grew like snowflake or data breaks and cloud data lakes and something then we migrated our software to those various applications now we have close to 100 plus connectors uh, in our data in our ecosystem so we are not like a um, we're trying to create a governance all around every uh, every part of databases applications software like uh, reporting systems. So that's where I think it's a gradual journey where they're seeing the need and then moving into this area when created. And application creation is happening based on what customers are looking for, where the demands are, how to solve the problem. We have a vision in mind that what we want to be, but it will take four or five more years to get to there. Interesting. Hey, you, you mentioned so much in the in this opening segment, uh, and I, I I was taking a couple of notes. You you mentioned that you got kind of bored at one point, and I think that's always a challenge. In fact, I was doing an onboarding session today, and I talked about one of the things I feel like that you know this industry can provide if you're in the right spot is you really never get bored because there's always something new that's coming on. There's a new way of doing things, but I think you're right. It's it's it can be a challenge uh, to, you know, how do I balance out getting really good at something, being proficient at it, uh, being world-class at it with, oh, I've done that a hundred times now, I need to do something else. And I think it's tough too, when you're running a product company or a consulting company to balance this out. Would, would you agree? It is, uh, it is a challenge. Uh, and I feel this, it is a, a quite a bit challenge even within the talent management of our company as well. The people have done the work they want to do another one. Like, so I don't want to do the same thing, but guess what? He's good at it. So you want to say, hey, it, yeah. you're good at it. Let's, can you do one more year of this one, right? So that's always a, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as executive, we realize this now, but as as we are doing it, there is a there is a, always a different kind of like balancing act need to be there. And that's, I think the challenge of growing the organization as well as challenge for everybody as well. 
once you become yeah. good at it you become habitual of it then you are you know i remember that i was really good at it the, what i used to do it and i was feeling like okay now it's i can do it like solve this problem like if other people used to take 15 days i can probably solve in two days because i was good at it and then i thought like if i'm doing early i'm benefiting the customer but there's no benefit to me at all like, like yeah. kind of like thinking around those areas and yeah. but it's uh, yeah that's it, it's it's a constant struggle i would say uh and i don't know the answer to that like really how to solve that specific problem <laughs> it it, it is individual uh, I, i would say it's individual I agree. Agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it, it's incumbent upon us to to try to continue to uh, provide more capabilities to get into whatever that new space is or that new area within a within a product company. But but also, you know, not not lose all that domain knowledge that that somebody brings. But but it is tough. The other thing you mentioned too, which I thought was interesting, you had Hortonworks was super technical, almost too techy. And you said that your ideas around Ovaledge really were spawned from that saying, hey, there's so much technology here. I've got to have a way to govern it, to manage it, to put some process around it. And I, I was thinking there's been so many companies uh, when you and I were at Hortonworks that have been founded out of Hortonworks. You're one of them with Ovaledge. Uh, so many more. And I just think it's a really interesting idea because we we love the technology, but but you said, wait, I want to take a step back and I want to help put some some structure, some organization around the technology. That's true. Um, so I will give you an example. So I was in a conference for Hortonworks, you know, the Hadoop Summit you used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time... I've still got a couple of the t-shirts, by the way. Oh, okay. Wonderful. So <laughs> I will give you an example. Um, I presented a business concept there and it was in Amsterdam in Netherlands. Okay. Like business concept that how you can do, uh, do some sort of a data warehousing using, you know, in a specific industry. And I think that 30 people shows up and it was a 200 people conference room. So 30 people is not looking very good. And then yeah. I went to a conf uh, in the same seminar. I went to something which I do. I don't know. You remember now? There is something called they came up with Tej, T-E-Z, T-E-Z, Tej, to run high. Yeah, test. Yeah, yeah. Right? So high yeah, another, another. Uh, yeah, another compute. Another, start, uh, another region where the yeah. SQL can run. There are uh, the two hundred people was already inside it, and there was an outside line of it. And I was <laughs> thinking about it that. I run the SQL, I get the result. How do I care whether you use MapReduce or Page or Spark underneath it? Like, how, why do I care as an application person? Like, why do I care? No, 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 you can do this and this and that. I'm like, like wow, there's too many people are there. I was, I was feeling like left behind, like, like either I am like, like, like I was literally feeling that there is, there is something wrong with me. Because like there was nobody there uh, in my con, like and there were like yeah. 300 people like, sitting outside, and yeah. and then attended that 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 meeting and really mean I got nothing out of it because too technical, mm. and I'm pretty damn technical guy. I, I think I'm pretty mm. technical, but they, those things was really good on top of me, like the 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 array structure and and everything was super complex, and I was like like why we are discussing this in conference like. This need to be a engineering session. Need can be an engineering session in a company when you are trying to create something. Why they are discussing that? Why the page work in a conference? I couldn't get that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think we can really uh, wrap around in, in a lot of cases this, oh, I want to be in all the cool technical stuff. I I don't know, you know, you mentioned Tess. I don't know that it's really around as a going thing anymore. I tell you what is around, though, is the need for data governance. I mean, that has not stopped. So that business side that you talk about, and you wrote an article for, for Forbes that uh, talked about, it's, you, you said, Starting a data governance initiative based solely on compliance is short-sighted. So I want to explore that. And you, and you said it had limited scope. Data governance can create a great deal of value for an organization beyond just the compliance aspect. So, Shrad, take me through how you think about positioning data governance, not only from a compliance risk reduction standpoint, but the value side of it. Where do you, where do you see both of those dimensions for data governance? It's very simple in my opinion. So if you want to do AI, right? If you want to do anything related to data, right? You, you have to have your data structured. You need to have data organized. You need to have data, you know, somewhere sitting good quality, trustworthy, right? Those are the things we need to have it. Otherwise you have a garbage in and garbage out from whatever the model you want to create it. So whether you are trying to create any part of the data-driven projects, you need to have better quality data. And that can only happen through data governance. How else you will improve the quality of the data? It's not that, oh, I put a tool there and the data quality will improve. Oh, I put a tool, the data trust will improve. No, we even at this time, we are living in the, you know, the post-Trump era or, or in, in Trump era where we do not trust even our media outlets. We don't trust uh, even, you know, the folks, what we wrote, like, or, or whatever. We don't, nobody trusts anything at this point of time. How would you trust data? You know, um, the main point, the, the whole bare middle of the pandemic, the, as soon as the pandemic was coming up, they created a phenomenal study about uh, hydrochloroxyquin. Uh, and a renowned paper, 200-year-old journal, came out with the, with the paper and the whole research was conducted on, a, on top of the data, which was purchased with a company which have only one employee. And this company have collected the data from 700 different hospitals. How is it possible practically? So that means then this is the first time in the history of the, this, they have to retract the paper the 200 year old journal. So at this time, when we are making the trillions of dollar policy decision making, the data underneath is, is bogus. And that's why that Trump was telling that you know, hydrochloroxyquin work and, and, and other media organizations saying it does not work. And underlying them, there was a data which was not proven. It was not trustworthy. Trillions of dollar policy making decision was based without data governance. That's what happened. So anything want to do it, it's hardcore to the business processes. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, you can have data that's available and, and even usable, but if you don't have that trust aspect to it, it just, it just all breaks down. Exactly. And, and I'm interested too, you bring up some great points. I, I mentioned in the opening too, for Ovaledge specifically, Sherrod, you guys cover a lot of different uh, I'll say product areas or categories. We, you talked about data quality been in, being linked into data governance. You can't do one with the, the other, data catalog, data lineage, et cetera. Put Ovaledge into the context of 
product category or categories and, and, and why do you consider that you're part of those? Because I feel like data governance can get a little bit confusing sometimes. There's a little overlap between the various categories. So the one of the big, one of the first use case of the data governance, one of the, let me say, not the main, but one of the use case of the data governance is to create the business glossary. Means that it basically simplify the terms and create the standard definitions around it. The irony of it, it couldn't do it for this own term. The people have a different understanding of the word data governance. If you go to the field of Snowflake, Hortonworks, Cloudera area, they will feel the data governance is about access management. They will feel like um, everything around, if the Hortonworks, um, sorry, the Snowflake CEO goes into the, uh, you know, New York Stock Exchange, they talk about data governance, but they're talking about security. They're talking about that aspect of it. If you go to the data governance word in terms of like, they call it like data governance word, they will, they are really talking about data trust, data literacy, what we call it, right? And then obviously the trust cannot happen until unless there is a clarity of the definitions, clarity of the terms, where the data come from, where it goes, that comes bring down to the lineage. And then it cannot happen until the quality of the data is good. So that you need a high quality. So in my opinion, all things are data governance, right? So improving the quality of the data, improving the quality of the metadata, which is the literacy aspect, improving the uh, access of the data so that you can get probably access to it. That's also part of the governance. So yeah. holistic, what we call it end-to-end -end data governance is, is every aspect of the data and you can manage it, right? Um, so some people call it data management, some people call it data governance, some people call it data fabric, some people call it, now believe it or not, every day a vendor will come and create a new term as well. So, uh, and, and, and there's too many words for the same problem. The problem, we understand this as a data governance, but we understand this, what we are seeing it. So if you go to an organization who want to create a, say for example, data lake, they see, oh, okay, the access management issues are currently their data governance issues. But the people who have little bit mature, they will see, oh, we couldn't figure out the trust of the data. Those are the data governance problems. So all these issues considered to be as a data governance challenges. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point that depending on who you ask or what type of company you go to, may, they may define what is data governance or how can we solve data governance differently, especially with a product company in the context of their product. And I, I would say that you're, you're, you're dead on where, you know, you really should separate security, access management, authorization, all those kind of things. That's, that's almost a whole separate thing that needs to be taken care of aside from trust and, and usability of, of the data. What um, you, you mentioned early on to business glossary, in the context of Ovaledge, who's really responsible for helping put that and put that in place and instantiate it? And, and um, what what kind of personas within an Ovaledge customer are helping with this business glossary concept? So generally, what is we are seeing is that companies are creating a something called data governance team, and it's a generally a team of one or team of three or team of four. We have seen like five six people also in a team. Those are the team which is their objective is to create the literacy in the organization about the data. And they start from the business philosophy because they, the main objective of them is find out the critical terms the industry is making the decision upon and create the consistent definition of those terms. So, you know, 
you can pick up a, in in healthcare organization you can pick up a term called length of stay in any other organization you can pick it like the churn rate or something so if you take a definition where the business is making a decisions on a millions dollar billion dollar decisions then is this the definition is consistent inside the organization at least because most of the organization group of you know the group merger and acquisition sometimes you organize it one department is understand one part of that the customer lifetime value another understand different customer lifetime value so those are the terms and putting up a very much structure around it and putting a different consistency of it that is the main part of the business philosophy and and something which is compliant right you know so for example privacy terms that is also like social security number that like like pretty much standard they always we know it because because the privacy team is pretty good about like uh, is defining those but the mostly the kpis and the metrics where the people are making decisions and if they don't have a consistent definitions around it it would be hard to make the even just compare it to numbers because they they know like this is customer lifetime value is 8 for whatever reason and there they see 10 but they will compare this is have better but their definition their definition is is not consistent maybe the 10 is not good 8 is good right so until unless they have the same formulas for everything and that is where um, the defining is is uh, you need to have a lot of consensus building inside the organization you have to figure out who owns the data what kind of formulas are used to figuring out so those kind of like various technical details you have to go through it and that's where the the team is needed to to work with multiple people inside the organization the bi group as well as the consumer of those reports and that basically they build that uh, the business glossary Okay. Hey, any thoughts? And you talked about all these, you know, this new terminology. We always love to bring up new terms and kind of reinvent something. Data mesh is being thrown around a lot today. Anything that stands out to you as it relates to data governance in the context of this data mesh concept where I'm going more towards domain-driven data products and so forth. Anything that stands out to you there is it, you know, more of the same in terms of the types of things that need to be done for data governance or what what's your perspective? So I would say that uh, the problems they are solving is the same. Whether it's a data mesh, data fabric, virtual data warehouse, you know, something called active metadata management if you ask Gartner, you ask us the data. So the problems they are trying to solve is the same. the approaches are little bit different for everybody and and even even the, everybody have the same approach almost like bring all the metadata together and do something with it right then after that there is some practices are maybe different like be in in the one side of it we say okay bring all the metadata together it's kind of common sense to bring everything together so that we can understand what is things are now you have to analyze it to understand what exactly it is and and then you need algorithm to understand like lineage where that is come from where it goes that's needed right uh, you need some more algorithms to kind of figuring out the the nuances of the details of it and those data mesh is uh, another word of it like okay you can also get the data to it uh, we already support all these aspect of uh, in the overledge but these are the concept which is uh, created by academics i would say the data governance also created by academics maybe 30 years ago or 40 years ago academy right just like ai has been created by academy like i still remember when i was doing my thesis in in my masters program 20 years ago or more than that i was doing a project on ai and uh, i couldn't understand it but we were able to create the program 1 plus 1 is equal to 1.999 or something like that it used to come as a result so 
now of course the word has changed but yeah yeah, so, yeah those are the thoughts on that probably a long a long time before we were calling it ai i i would imagine why is it maybe it's my perception but i, I feel like that some of the categories, uh, the product categories in the data governance space, it, it seems like we've had a difficult time achieving the potential that's been promised in a lot, especially in large organizations. I was just curious, your perspective, is it, is it, is it technology related? Is it process related? Is it people related? Or is maybe just my perception is wrong? Oh, there's been thousands of successful uh, data governance programs and implementations of products around, or is my perception right the, that it's, it's been a struggle so if you I, I think i will give you this example of like if you i think uh, i'm not sure you are old enough or not but go about like oh i'm i'm old don't yeah, worry so go like 15 <laughs> years back or 20 years yeah. back remember that erp days back old erp days everybody used to create a different different erp system and used to have like oh i'm converting this system to the processes now everybody's creating like something and then suddenly things started converging into one and they become one SAP. Now, if you see the value of SAP, is there a value in SAP? Yes, everything is much more organized. The organization is much more efficient. But in order to evolve these business processes, it takes time and effort. So there is a lot of success in there in various organizations in terms of the data governance processes. Some have been successful, some have been failed. Similar to that, if you scroll to the SAP, pre-SAP world, there are so many companies for creating business processes. Everybody used to customize their SAP because they want to maintain their processes, right process. Now, nobody wants to customize anything. Oh, give me the standard process. I want to implement a standard because a standard has been vetted out multiple times. So right now, the same thing is happening is that everybody's changing their processes because they think their process is right and because they don't have any processes. So they build on a process on a piece of paper and even the vendor doesn't have any rights to say this is the right process because they also has been only around two years or three years. Yeah. How can you yeah. know whether this process is going to work or not? So, so that is why this is this is this industry is evolving, and it is a lot of values getting created in there. But ultimately, it will convert into one thing, and which which will define the best practices. So right now, what we call it best practices is is been two three years mature process processes four years mature mm -hmm. it's not like 20 years mature so once as we will evolve the version to version to version these process will become more and more people like okay this is the process which we really like right so it's a business glossary process and i told them it's a complex problem to solve and there is a multiple ways to get to it now somebody will say oh the data matches the way somebody will say this is the way that is the way they come up with a different terminology different naming convention but actually, ultimately, what we are trying to come up with is a process to build business glossary standard in the organization. That's ultimately we want to create. And that is where the, the struggles are. Uh, what we, as, as at Overledge, we adopt a cycle is that we have a standard practice, but you can, but we have something called open architecture that you can customize it based on top of that. Because we understand that, that that whatever the best practices it is, it is still not 100% best practice. It is a best practices for most companies, but still you, you can change it. Like we, we implementing HubSpot in, in our company, right? So it's a marketing software. We say, okay, you give us what is your best practice. We will just create the company around it because we want to learn from the people who have done it before. Similar to that, we now in, in healthcare technology or in financial technologies, we have implemented this at multiple companies and we know how does it implement now. 
So if somebody want to do in fintech or health tech or, or those areas, we know how to do it. And, and they get easily convinced that you have, if company A, company B, company C have done the same manner, then company D and A, especially in that area, will be easier to do it. But exactly, you can for, you cannot put the same process for utility companies. So, yeah. or bank. So bank will have used the bank processes. And ultimately, they will converge into one as well because there will be some, uh, you know, more tweak into that. So you've got, you've, it sounds like you've got these templates or, or cookbooks, if you will, that, that potentially could be industry specific. My, my financial services may be a little bit different than healthcare, or maybe even a segment within, you know, payers versus plans, et cetera, providers. Uh, and then is there also a dimension, Shrad, that is company size specific for maybe a startup or, or small to medium could be a different template or cookbook around governance and, you know, a full-blown enterprise that's been around for a hundred years? Yes, it, it, I think the company which grow merger and acquisition is very hard com comparative to the company which grow organically, right? Because organically they they, they use they follow the same processes at least, right? And the merger and acquisition that building two cultures together, they use different practices altogether. Terminologies are different. It's implementing data governance is difficult. Uh, the company yeah. who grow in uh, through M and A because nobody want to change their process inside the organization. And in order to implement data governance or processes, you have to follow the same process, right? Otherwise, and yeah. a lot goes into the leadership. If you have executive sponsorship or leadership and they're committed towards making that change, realizing the value in the long term, then you will see a great success. We have companies, we have a very, very high level executive sponsorship where we see that, um, the decisions are made very quickly and they actually move forward because it created a backlog of work as well, right? So when you're creating a data governance committees and meetings and coming up with some answers to it, it creates, no, no, we need to change some data quality systems. We need to make sure that the, we need to convert this report to in different format. So they create the backlog of work. And so they need, a, they need to fund some money as well to create the backlog of the work as well. So all that is working well, but sometimes you get the retirement of technical debt as well like oh there are, we have seen that uh, you know when we are implementing a data governance for one of the large uh, healthcare company that 90% of the report was obsolete so we get rid of 90% of the report and then only 10% of this is now using so it is a lot of success it's like oh okay we were actually not nobody was using it but nobody knew it so they were still running in production and everybody was using it. But now when they start the data governance program, we're like, oh, these are nobody's using those one. So let's get rid of those. And and when we look at the consumption rates, there was nobody was using, so why not get rid of those? So there is a lot of technical yeah. debt as you can do it, but there's also a backlog of the work which can create from it. So how high, Sharad, we talk about some of these process changes that are required, how high within a decent-sized organization does that decision to make that happen need to be sponsored? And also across how many different groups? Let's say you, you tell me, okay, CIO, that's more IT, or CDO, more data. At what level and then across how many groups does this sponsorship need to happen to see the success that you're talking about, would you say? So I, I think the the we need a... Suppose that we are doing uh, for a marketing department, right? So the, we need a VP of marketing on board to do this. Suppose we are organizing the marketing department. So the business side, mm -hmm. which is, I would say, the business side of it. Of course, the technical side is needed. The leadership of the technical side provide the funding and providing the, the uh, brainstorming work as well as 
figuring out where the lineage is and you know putting out all this is is needed for sure but there is a business side is also equally needed with the what domain you are working upon suppose you are working on uh, you know the healthcare and there is the hospital side and then the, let's say the you know blood pressure side or something right so you have to have that leadership specific to the domain and then bring down to one side is is the technical side those two are mandatory to be have the leadership then the third one is also the sometimes it comes quite a bit is compliance because um, if the compliance is not on board then you have a hard problem in that area as well so business it for sure and the compliance also so that three that makes sense. makes sense but compliance sometimes is again it's a uh, it depends industry to industry most of the sign we have seen is that banking and financial you see that privacy or the compliance people are much more involved while on the healthcare side you will see very less involved in the data governance process because they had hipaa before yeah. so everything in in healthcare world has been taken care of it using hipaa guideline and hipaa is very much well inbuilt in, inside the healthcare organizations so you will not see many problem in the data space because this has been hipaa has been around for a long time so social security numbers are never naked in uh, in any of the databases in healthcare company while if you go yeah. to the education companies you will see quite a bit that way so it depend upon the yeah. industry industry as well okay okay interesting hey shifting uh, gears just a little bit I'm trying to get into you know kind of the business side if we can what what have you learned from founding until today uh, about product market fit it's a um I think it's a very complex process to come to the product market fit. As I told you that earlier, um, that we were probably earlier focusing on Hadoop only to create the data catalog of Hadoop when we were thinking around it. But we realized that we needed a, a different because the market was changing. So we we immediately changed it to non Hadoop market, and it took us time to figure it out. So pivoting and agileness is very important to find the product market fit. uh you have to keep pivoting because the first idea in my opinion will not work um whatever the good idea it is uh you have to pivot it and then pivot it and then i think we pivoted five or six times i i still and we right. still agile pretty much that's how it takes and you have to keep uh, your ears open and eyes and ears open to understand what is going on in the market and keep converting and then keep uh, open to those areas of that and uh, yeah and i i don't think that we are we i i can guarantee that we will not pivot there's no there is no answer because as the market will shift we have to pivot and the, what happens as you grow the pivot becomes difficult that the agileness of the organization we have to keep so one of the core process of overledge is that we will never get rid of the open architecture of overledge which is like keep the mm. one part which is open where the customers are changing themselves and we are learning in that process from the customer what they are doing although there is a best practices component which come of the product and now this even this grow to a level even even sometime i get out of like hand that even oh we we we, we there are certain business processes even i am not aware um, you know that what is going on and of course a lot of people are not aware so that's that's what is started happening now but until unless that pivot is there and until as the agileness of the organization is there um, because this is a very still is a very new market uh, it's a very new domain ai is only 
just starting it up uh, until unless uh, we see that huge shift in that um, the data governance is still is a very early on in my area in yeah. my thinking the the pivots that you mentioned those five or six pivots those are more from a product standpoint or 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 positioning standpoint have you have you had to do the same i'm always curious from a pricing standpoint i noticed today you've got essential professional and enterprise you've got these different pricing tiers which is a normal way of of doing it today has your thinking changed around pricing as well have you had to pivot that multiple times yes um but pivoting on the pricing we were we were only uh, I think the one thing which didn't change is the user-based pricing. We still mm. have the user-based pricing because as many people are using it, I mean, the value they are creating. It. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, we need to create, like earlier we were having a um, pretty like business user pricing versus normal user. Uh, earlier our business user pricing was pretty high. Um, so we, but we, it's, it's basically block that option, right? So we, we grow up and we change the pricing model so that you know, thousands of business users can use it. So, so that is the one major shift we did it. So that now, now which around to build around thousands of business users and a set of data governance team or the team which you can kind of like, which is really working upon the product and then thousands and thousands of or hundreds of users can use this product for more of their data, you know, research, discovery, part of work. Yeah. That is the major oh, shift we did it. But I think that, yeah, those are the two areas where we kind of pivoted. Uh, earlier, we were mostly like, okay, you have one kind of, one user pricing, but it is not going yeah. to work. Okay. What about, you know, just in terms of the growth that you guys have experienced, you've, you've been hiring more, you've added customers, your, your revenue is continuing. Where, where, do you, where are you today? Where do you see things going over the next few years uh, with Ovalich? I um I see the momentum is uh, started building up now, uh, so I still see that uh, we are close to two hundred people now, and I still see that growing at least now, like becoming a six hundred people company probably by next two year or one year, one year or two year. That is the growth I think in the number of people wise. Um, I think the customer size we are. We are like we we double our customer every year. Um, so um, so this year we are um, double in the sense that suppose we have X customer, we double the we we grew two more two times X. We grew so we, mm -hmm. we triple the customer every year. So we hopefully we are able to triple the customer this year as well. And uh, that's the growth we want to do: uh, triple the customer number of customers. And so. The demand is there in the market for sure. Um, we see a, everybody have this need. Um, if we can just um, position it, then we can sell it as well. We can show the value to the customer. How are you getting? The, I mean, it's tremendous growth. How are you getting the word out into the market to differentiate uh, Ovaledge today? Are you, is it more direct channels? Is it indirect? What What are the things that you're doing that kind of cause a customer to knock on your door and say, "Hey, I want to talk to to Ovaledge." Mostly of all our customers are either inbound or partner-led. Those are the two channels which is mostly working for us. Inbound is mostly is people look at the product. We have our product out on internet as well. People can experiment on it, see whether it's working for them or not. And then um, they feel that yeah, this is the right fit. We have all the solution which is needed. And then they contact us. And then after that, we go through the 
you know, sometime we go to prove the point that it works. Uh, sometime customers is already, you know, it makes sense. We have worked with so many customers before, so that means they it's going to work for their use case as well. Generally, every customer have their own uh, set of requirements which they create, and we have to we have to sell them. Yes, it works within the software, and that's that's probably the most of the time we are selling that way. So yep. mostly is I would say that it's a inbound and partner led. Those are the two two areas which is working. Interesting. Hey, during uh, during the course of the last few years, have you had a moment or two, or maybe just a moment that you want to talk about where you said, I, I know that this is going to work. I know that we're onto something big and you're going to start hitting some of this growth, which obviously you're experiencing right now. Can you think back to a time where you went, okay, this is it. I know we're going to hit it big here. The one point you see that it is high and another point you see the low. I have never seen only highs and highs. On the one side, we, we see a tremendous high, and then immediately you will see a low as well. Like low is like, oh, I have a big customer signed up, and the, the like early on. Uh, now now it doesn't happen much, but then you say, oh, there is a, you know, uh, the one customer is says is not going to work out well, right? So that is the area yeah. where we see a, you know, in the early part of the the career, which we see is like a lot of highs and lows. That like that's the part of the thing which we. And, 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 and the lows are the opportunity to learn, in my opinion, like, that's why we pivoted. We pivoted because we realized that it's not working for a specific amount of customer. I, if, if even today, if, if customer says no to us, we look at very, very thoroughly the why it happened and we fix that problem because ultimately it is our problem if the customer do not like our product yeah. because they do have a need for sure. And. I can guarantee that no competitor is, can compete, um, have a product like us. So if even though the customer is, uh, you know, going away from us, we need to look back to us to see the, why it happened. Like, why did they not, why couldn't we satisfy their need? Because we have all the product and features needed. Either we are not able to convince them through the messaging or there is some problem in the technical execution or functional execution. There is some problem is there and then we fix that problem. Uh, so we introspect yeah. a lot in that area. The, those highs and the lows that you talked about, how, how do you personally uh, handle those uh, emotionally? Because, you know, the, the highs, I guess, are, are fairly easy, but you, you don't, like you said, you don't want to get too, too much. Uh, you don't want to read too much into that. The lows may be more difficult. How do you personally handle those? Any, any particular tips to other founders when you're going through these uh, peaks and valleys? So I have two amazing partners. So one is my partner, uh, Shini, who is uh, another business partner with, in my company. Another partner is my wife. So she never let me go up, ever. So that is a good part. She keeps me tab on that side. She keeps, keeps you very <laughs> humble. Yeah. And uh, Shini doesn't let me go low. He's like, oh, no, we will do that. So so I think that is the, the, the good part with us is that, you know, they keep me balanced. And, and that's the the part it is uh i'm fortunate for that you have a balancer on both ends of the continuum that's great yeah so yeah i mean so if you're going low then you go no no we we can do this we can pivot it we can do this if you ask you need to because we uh, we have a uh you know some technical challenges coming up and, yeah. and i told like this this is a technical challenge we have to solve it and and he said look we will do one thing we will sit in the garage and you know for four days and I will just sit it and then I will do it. 
and he was yeah. able to do it and get the things solved. So that's the kind of yeah. attitude uh, we have in our organization, which which is kind of pretty good. What, what's what's the, to some of those points? What's the biggest challenge you see? You said you're around two hundred today, going to six hundred uh, employees. Is it is it technical challenges to get there? Satisfying technical requirements? Is it is it people challenge? What are the things that could keep you from getting there, or what do you think is going to? What do you think will be the catalyst to really drive you to that next level, Sharon? So uh, ultimately, the the catalyst is is the one of the demand is there. So the people want to do data governance, and people feel there is a need for it. So that is the the good part. The 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 thing is that as a data governance vendor, are we fulfilling our duty to provide the best best solution to the customer, right? That is something which we find like this is a challenge, right? So, so sometimes always I have seen that people's imagination goes much more faster than uh, you and me can kind of code and do the work, right? Mm. So as soon as we get to the one part of thing, people' imagination is going, no, we can do this as well, we can do A as well, B as well, C as well. So those imagination are 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 the basically our own. I would say that it keeps you like like because you have to develop it, you have to build those functionality to 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 get to that place. So those are the things which is kind of like that's why you need more people to support that information to build that particular features or functionality or or use case. And those are the and as I said, there are hundreds of problems in the data governance page we have to solve. We, as I say that we are solving only um, let's say sixty percent of those problems right now. The 40% of the problems are still need to be solved. But those are coming at the later part of the data governance when you are really very mature in the data governance organization and then you're growing even, you know, you can keep maturing it. The trust is something that you will never have 100% trust. It, it, it cannot yeah. be, right? Uh, this, even people don't trust God on 100% of the time, right? So, 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 so that's the, uh, nobody can trust on anything. The, the word trust have its own, um, <laughs> the basically yeah. the, the negative side to it. You, you can only improve on that area. So as much the transparency you can provide in the data, you can build more trust. That's the only thing I can think of. Like how do? But mm. if you provide the transparency, you have to take care of accessing the data. Oh, do we have access or not? Does it have the you know? This is a PII problem. Is the salary information you are giving away to somebody? So they have to take care of all yeah. these issues as yeah. well. So those are the, that's why the integrated experience is very important in order to solve this. And that's where because it's becoming a very big product to solve all the problem, and that's the challenge basically. Yeah. How has your how's your personal transition been to from the early days where you were probably wearing pretty much every hat within the organization to where today, especially at the size you are, I'm sure you're dealing, maybe the percentage has shifted over to more strategic thinking of where are we going? How are we going to get there? Those kind of things versus having to do every single thing. You even alluded to it earlier. You said, I may not know every single piece that's going on within the organization that's going to get us there at a detail level. How's that transition been? Have you enjoyed that? Is it something that you really relish? What have you maybe learned from it as well? I think that that is a very humbling, like humbling experience I have. Like I never thought that how, um, whether I would be able to do it or not, frankly speaking. Um, but I'm enjoying it. 
I'm enjoying mm. it to the core of it. Like I feel that this is something I wanted to do. Um, earlier, you know, I still remember that um, when I was working with a nuclear power utilities company or something, somebody uh, in an interview asked, asked me, hey, you make a lot of decisions. How do you feel that, you know, how do you make the decisions? I think it was Amazon or somebody, like some experience. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know whether I make any decisions in the organization. Like I literally thought that I don't make it. Like I, I do the work and the decisions are not made ever because it's kind of like obvious thing you're doing. Now here, at this point of time, I literally have to make the priorities, this versus that. And each thing I can, you can believe it or not, I think that either I'm losing the business here or I'm losing the business there. Like in both places, and I don't have enough people to do both things. So now I feel the, the importance of making a right decision making and right judgment. And, and that's where the, your experience is, is helping me quite a bit because I, I came from this technical background and the business background as well. So it is helping me, but it's still uh, the decision-making process yeah. on day-to-day basis on, on the small, small things is, is, is something which I enjoy. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I, I'm, I'm pretty technical, so I'm also able to understand that what is underneath it, it is and why we are making those decisions. But I don't know. Means, means mm. I, I am, I'm hoping that we are making the right decisions. And, uh, uh, you know, so far, so good. It looks like that, yes, we made a lot of mm. right decisions uh, the way we are because a couple of company in our area is, uh, have basically folded. A couple of companies are also successful. But uh, so I think we have been to fortunately in, in good space so far. That's great. That's great. Hey, it, it's been a lot of fun catching up. Is there is there anything that maybe we haven't talked about today that you'd like to let the HashMap on Tap audience know? Anything, any project, product, media, anything you want to give visibility to that we haven't already talked about? No, I think the only thing I want to tell is that there is the importance of data governance in the uh, you know, people generally sometimes feel, oh, we, if I want to do AI, then I don't need data governance. If I want to do analytics, I don't want to do data governance, right? Um, the, the thing is, if you are a leader of an organization, if you are a leader of a BI group, if you are a leader of a analytics, if you are trying to create a new data platform, you need data governance. Either you will know it now or you will know it in future. The problem is that if you know, if you do it early on, it is much more easier and manageable. Later on, it will be you. You have to go back two more years. So, if you start on the as soon as you are starting the data analytics project, a big analytics project, you're creating a data lake or creating a big data warehouse on a snowflake or something. Start the data governance journey now. Otherwise, you will regret it later on because ultimately you have to do it. I have not seen an organization which doesn't do data governance. Some people are just so good that they are like, they think that all the data is nice quality, good. It is just not there. Humans are capable of creating a bad data. And we mostly create bad data all the time. We put wrong information. We put, we don't follow the process. We are human and, and machine is mostly not creating the data. Humans are creating the data. And that's where you need governance structure. That's the something it's just needed. And uh, as early you start the value of it, the more rewards you will get later on. Yeah. Well, well said. Love it. Hey, before we uh, wrap up, do you have time for a quick lightning round? 
these are just these are these are just e- these are just easy kind of personal questions. Nothing, uh, not not overly yeah. personal, sure, but sure. just fun stuff to get to know you a little bit. Uh, so first sure, one, sure. a technology you can't live without in your role at Oval Edge. Uh, Java. Java. What <laughs> time of day are you most productive, Shrub? Oh, morning, early Good. morning. Would you also say you're the most creative early morning, or is your most creative time a different time of day? No, I'm most creative in early morning. Productive and creative. Very nice. Hey, do you and your yeah. family have a cook-at-home meal or a takeout delivery meal that you, you really enjoy the most? Cook-at-home. Cook-at-home, yeah. Excellent. Is there is there a favorite spot? I mentioned you mentioned the Avalon area. Is there is there a favorite spot in your local area in Atlanta right now that, that you really enjoy? Yeah, I enjoy Avalon area as well as there is a another area called Halcyon. Mm. I enjoy that as well. Cool. Quite a bit. If you were to put your laptop to the side, your phone to the side, and unplug from tech for a while, what what's your go to uh, activity when you kind of put the technology to the side? Uh, maybe go for a walk or something. Yeah, just enjoy the outdoors a little bit. I, yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, last question. Is there another company, whether it's in your segment or not, but another company that you're watching closely right now? Um, Snowflake. Snowflake. Very good. Very good. Well, Sherrod, hey, really appreciate you joining HashMap on tap today. A lot of fun. It was great catching up and looking forward to keeping up with everything at Ovaledge. Thank you, Kelly. It was really a nice conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Great, great insights. Thanks so much. And we appreciate everybody that listened in. Please subscribe to the podcast. Visit us at hashmapinc.com. Send us any feedback or comments. We would love to hear from you. And we'll see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.